welcoming back into studio someone who has been a part of our Memorial Day tradition here for a lot of years, Veterans Day as well, because he always brings us fascinating clips and amazing stories of regular Joes who have been uh, called to serve in our military. The oral history collection at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum has uh, an extensive collection of these interviews with veterans talking about their experiences in service to this nation. And Mark DePew is the oral history director at the Presidential Library and Museum. And after uh, a long time of having to just talk by phone, it is great to have you back in studio face-to-face. Welcome to the program. Well, I agree. It's wonderful to be back with you, Jim. <laughs> and always appreciate your time here heading into the uh, Memorial Day weekend uh, to be able to, to bring these incredible stories here. Now, before we get to the specific one, just remind everybody again a little bit about the overall oral history collection and specifically about... About the uh, the extent of the collection of conversations with veterans. Well, we got started back in 2006. We now have collected over 1,000 interviews, which is quite the a, a mark on the wall, if you will. And as you know, some of these interviews end up being not just one session of an hour or so, but very extensive, especially when you get into the politicians. And quite a few of the people I've interviewed in the military as well have multiple sessions and uh, great stories to tell. So uh, we're proud about that. You can find it all on the webpage, oralhistory.illinois.gov. Now, uh, identifying politicians and prominent uh, public figures in Illinois, that seems like a fairly easy task to figure out who you'd want to have in this collection. How do you find these veterans? These are regular Joes, guys with the, and, and women as well, uh, with you know pretty ordinary lives. And then they have these extraordinary experiences in the military. And then they come back to lead pretty regular lives yep. again. How do you find them and, and be able to uh, immortalize their stories? Well, a lot of it is just keeping your ear close to the ground. But uh, pick up stories in the newspaper, uh, friends who uh, make recommendations. Uh, I've worked with different veterans groups uh, that is especially true for the Korean War veterans that I've been able to find. Uh, but you always have people who come in, hey, you need to talk to this person. She's got a great story. Or you need to find him and, and sit down with him. And then increasingly, that's been the way I've been identifying folks. Uh, try to get out of Springfield area as much as I can. Uh, this particular person we're focusing on today, I had one of my volunteers who did an extensive project about school reorganization. And he interviewed Bill Phillips about school reorganization because Phillips was one of the experts on the subject. He said, hey, Mark, you need to talk to this guy about his experience as a Vietnam veteran. So that's how I found Bill Phillips. Uh, and it's noted here he was a Springfield native. And this conversation Well, from... he's from Chinoa originally. Okay, okay. So, but he had lived in Springfield at the time you, you spoke Correct. with him then? Correct. Okay. Uh, and so this conversation is actually from several years ago. Back in 2013 is when you talked to him. That's right. Right. And, and so set the stage here for the first clip we're, we're going to listen to. Uh, and this is something that, as I noted, it, it kind of sounds like uh, the screenplay for every war movie <laughs> you've ever seen. And you start to think... Oh, come on, is it really like that? And apparently it really kind of is. Yeah. Well, uh, Bill was, as I mentioned, he grew up in Chinoa. He had one year as a school teacher, and then he's drafted. And by January 1970, he finds himself in Vietnam. And by May, 
He's going in with the 4th Infantry Division into Cambodia. For those who know their career or their Vietnam history, that was a, a traumatic moment for the United States. But he's a medic, and he's dealing with lots of casualties. And so what you're going to find out here in this clip is one of the casualties he had to, to help, even though he couldn't get him back in to see some real serious uh, you know, medical help that the, the kid needed. I'll tell you something. You know what they always hollered or always said? What they wanted was their mother. I don't care if they were married or whatever. When they were wounded, buddy, they asked for their mother. One guy was shot late in the afternoon. And, you know, it was like five or six. And it was getting dark pretty soon. And I, I was afraid that, you know, the they wouldn't come in at night because they didn't do that. They didn't have to. Occasionally, if you just begged and begged them, they'd come in at night because traveling at night was dangerous because you'd have to use lights and stuff like that. And at night was Charlie's time. I mean, that's when they were up and moving around. We moved around in the daytime, and they moved around at night. So, um, you know, I called them, and they, they wouldn't come in and get him. And uh, they said, you'll have to take care of him tonight. He won't last the night, you know. He, you know, he was shot two, three times. I forget what it was, and and he was there, and I was sitting with him all night long, and you know, we'd, I'd talk to him, and he'd tell me about stories about home and this and that, and his car and his girl, and you know, he was 19 or whatever. And uh, then early in the morning, you know, he he started talking real quietly about his mother, and I thought, uh oh. Because when they started talking about their mother, somehow they knew maybe that, you know, what was coming. And he died for, you know, I could get him, come get him the next morning. He was dead. You know, I always felt bad about that, that I couldn't keep him alive, you know, all night long. You know, and, and something I, I wasn't aware of when I uh, first heard the clip earlier today, because you identified him in the material you sent me as Dr. Bill Phillips, I assumed he was a medical doctor. Apparently, that his doctor was a Ph.D. He was a school teacher and then became a medic in a combat situation. Yeah, and you talk to these medics, and I've talked to a few of them, and this is life and death stuff. So they were doing things as medics or as nurses that they would never do when they got back to the United States. Yeah. And so that's, you know, he was just your average kid who ends up going to the army and gets trained to be a medic and and finds themselves holding people's lives in their hands. Wow. Remarkable. Uh, we have one more clip to play. We're talking with Mark DePew. He's the oral history director at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. And uh, if this one doesn't give you chills, you, you may need to check for a pulse. Uh, so, uh, again, set up the story for, for this one just a little bit. Well, again, he's he's in Cambodia. And uh, they're doing all these uh, lift missions, one place to another, moving all the time. And uh, he's the company commander's medic. But he wants to get on this helicopter with a good buddy of his who also happened to be a you know school teacher back in the States. And uh, he finds himself, no, he can't go on that, that, that lift. So this, turn it over to this. We were somewhere... And one of my best friends in the infantry company was a fellow named Bob Hill. And he was a school teacher like me from Iowa, Cedar Rapids. And we became friends. And he was a radio man for a, a lieutenant, a platoon leader. 
One morning, we were, we were going on uh, some sort of operation, and the helicopters were coming in one at a time, and uh, I was not supposed to travel with Bob and his platoon because I was the, uh, was the med chief medic, and I was supposed to be with the company commander all the time. So we were standing there talking, and the helicopter came in and landed, and Bob said, well, come on with us, come on with us. And so I went, I went over to the helicopter, and I sat on it, and, you know, as it was getting ready to take off, and I saw a captain dressed very nicely, really not dressed like us. I mean, he had on a, a uniform like us, but it was clean. Boots were clean, and, I mean, it was obvious that this guy was from the rear. And the captain went made a gesture with his finger for, for me to get off the helicopter and come over and talk to him. And I just assumed that he knew that I wasn't supposed to be there, I was supposed to be with the company commander. That's what I assumed. So I got off the helicopter, Bob took off, and I got on the next one. And I went to the captain and he said simply just one thing, he said, it's not your time. That's all he said. So I didn't think any more about it. and. Company commander came up a minute or so later, and, and we got on the next helicopter and took off. Well, that was the day that Bob's helicopter was shot down by a 51 caliber, and I could see the helicopter going in. So the helicopter went in, hit hard, exploded into flames, everybody killed, you know. It's my job to go get them, put them in body bags. Didn't think much about that other than being very sad that my friend was killed that day. A few days later, you know, I realized, I said, gee, what a lucky break that was for that captain to pull me off that helicopter. So I went back and I asked our company commander, who was around there, I said, uh, who, who, um, who was that guy out there that day? That captain, he said, no, there, was, there was nobody there. I said, well, you know who I mean. The, the guy who was uh, all cleaned up, dressed nice, obviously different than us. I said, there wasn't anybody out there. So then I asked a couple other guys who were around there too, and I asked them the same question. I said, who, who was that captain? And nobody saw the guy except me. Nobody saw that person but me. Now I told that story to some golfing buddies they they were so taken by that story, they called it the guardian angel story. And I said, well, I don't know about that. Boy, that just make the hairs on your <laughs> or on, on your arm stand up, won't it? Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, the thing that always struck me about that story is that comedy made right at the end. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because he was there and, you know, it all made sense to him at the time. Sure. But anybody who you know, starts to reflect on it says, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. Amazing story. Among the many amazing stories about uh, uh, ordinary people in remarkable circumstances, and it's all captured in the oral history collection. Uh, Mark DePew, tell people again, and this is all free, by the way, to, to go check out and listen to entire interviews. Uh, where do people find it all? Uh, www.oralhistory.illinois.gov. If you um, go to our alphabetical listing, type in his name, you'll see that he now has three interviews, but obviously this is the one that's in the veteran 
Veterans Remember Vietnam Collection. Dr. Bill Phillips is his name. Mark DePew is the name of the Director of Oral History. And your time is always greatly appreciated here. We hope you have a great holiday weekend, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, thanks for letting me share these stories.